Kia ora. Welcome to the Arise Church podcast. For more details, you can find us at arisechurch.com. But right now, we're going to hear a message from myself, our Wellington campus pastor, Chris White. We really trust you'll enjoy today's message. Can you imagine why we ask that question? Imagination is so important. It's so important to us in our natural lives, but it is even more important to us in our supernatural lives and our faith. It's actually critical. Uh, God wants us to imagine. He wants us to imagine. Check out our key scripture for the series. It's Ephesians 3, starting at verse 20, and it says this. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I want you to say that word imagine out loud. One, two, three. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Well done. Well done. I could hear you guys online. That was amazing. Incredible. Uh, uh, to do all that we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Can I hear an amen? amen. Fantastic. You guys are amazing. I, you've really lifted your game. I'm, I'm really pleased. Hey, well done. You can, 10 points, guys, 10 points. Um, that word imagine, what does it mean? Well, in the Greek, that word means to understand to see with insight. In a standard English dictionary, it means this, to form a mental image of something not present. We form an image of something that is not present right now. When we imagine, we start to create something that, that is tangible, something that's not present right now that is becoming tangible. And it was through God's creative imagination that He created this whole world. It started in His imagination and as we read in the book of Genesis, then it becomes the words out of his mouth, which then becomes reality. Imagination, words, reality. That's how God works. He does it. And I love the, love the way it describes it in Genesis. I'm going to read just a little snippet, right? This is how God describes it. So Genesis 1:14, And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days of the year and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. Man, he could have just said, let there be a sun and a moon, bam. But no, like this creative description, and that's what God does. You've got to understand Genesis is not like a factual, let's lay it out book. It's not like, it's actually prose. It's poetry. So God's actually speaking in poetry in this, in this chapter. He's saying things and describing a story. And the amazing thing about poetry or stories is they speak more than just facts. They're describing relationships, connections. Who's over here? How did this person come about? What's the connection between you? What was the story of how it unfolded? He's describing images. And that's how God works. Because He's creating more than just a book of facts. God uses the power of imagination to help paint pictures of what is to come throughout Scripture. He does it to so many people. We're going to dive into uh, one guy, the life of Abraham. So we're going to read Genesis 15 at verse 5. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and he said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So you've got to just, you know, pulling back here for a second, Abraham you know, have been given this promise by God, I want you to come out of where you are, I want you to go to a new land, and you're going to start a new nation there. 
But Abraham and his wife were old. You know, they were really old. They didn't have any kids. And he said, you're going to have a child. He said, man, we're real old. They laughed at that. Can I just tell you, you can actually have kids quite old in life. And, uh, and like, well, 50 is not actually that old. To be honest, you can have it heaps older. But I'm just, I'm just, this is a comment, social comment on life. There we go. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, they were much older than that. But he's saying, no, you will have children. They didn't believe it. So what did he do? He said, I want you to have a mental image. I want you to imagine this. So he took them out in the night sky. He says, take a look up there. Try and count them if you can. Try and count those stars. He's getting them to engage with the image. He's not just giving them a fact. He's saying, imagine this. This is not just stars, but imagine they're all your children. And he repeats that again and again. Why? Because he's wanting to birth something in his life. More than just an idea, he's wanting to birth faith in his heart. Jesus did the same thing. When he's expressing spiritual truths, he did it in language that was creative, descriptive. He used parables. I'm just going to grab one example out of the many. One example, Matthew 5, starting at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God's constantly trying to engage our imagination. He's, he's not just saying, hey, you know, this is the church and the church will do this. No, He goes, hey, you're the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. Imagine what that is like. So when there's darkness all around, and we know that this world is filled with darkness. When there's darkness, no one can see anything. They stumble around. There's a lack of clarity. There's a lack of purpose. When people are exposed to lots of darkness, it changes their mood and, the emo and their emotions. Man, we know this from people who work in Antarctica. They have to work on uh, uh, light treatment for them right now so that they don't go through long dip, uh, bouts of depression because lots of darkness will cause that in your life. Darkness changes the way we feel. It changes our mood. But what does light do? Suddenly, when a light comes on in that environment, all attention is drawn to it. Everyone can't help but notice, what is that? What is shining right there? It suddenly illuminates everything. Light immediately replaces the darkness. Darkness doesn't ex extinguish light. Light brings clarity, brings things to focus, changes the way we feel, act and decide, reveals the truth of what's in the darkness, and light will cause people to bring glory to the Father. And that's why He uses it. Yeah, come on. That's worthy of thanking God for. And that's why He gives us this image. He's trying to engage our imagination. Hey, I've made you to be a church that is like this. Imagine what that is like. And He uses simple pictures like that all over Scripture. Here's another example. Jesus even used the context of names to change our imagination. So there's this moment where uh, the disciples were gathered together. Jesus had just started doing some public things out and about, and people were talking about him. And he said, what are the rumors out there about me? What are people saying? And they discussed those rumors, and he said, but who do you say I am? And one of the disciples, Simon, said, said this. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we pick it up here in Matthew 16. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. He changes his name right there. You are now Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
And I always thought this was a cool little play on words, you know, like Simon, the name Simon literally means like a reed. It's, it's blowing in the wind. If the wind's blowing this way, he's going this way. If it's blowing that way, he's going that way. And he says, now you are Peter, a rock. You know, I thought that's the, the general, but Jesus' description is even much deeper than that. He uses two different words for rock. Peter actually was the word Petros, it, which actually means a small detached stone. So he's saying, yeah, now you're no longer a reed, you're a stone, but you're small and detached. But he said, on this rock, and he uses the word Petra, which means huge rock or bedrock, I will build my church. So he's saying to him, you're not just a small detached stone, but you're going to be part of something much bigger. And all through Scripture, Jesus was talked about as the rock. He says, you're now part of me and the gates of hell will not prevail. And it's like immediately, yeah, come on. It's like immediately someone handed, you know, Simon, uh, these two wires, a, a positive and a negative. Like when I was a little kid, someone on the way home from school, they had these well, hand generators. I don't know if you've ever seen one. Hey, kid, hold this, you know? And I'm like, yeah, this, is, this will be real cool, you know? And then the one kid behind the other guy's back winds this generator up. It just drew so much power. My arms are shaking. And of course, I can't let go of the thing. It's like, yeah! And that was what we did as kids on the way home from school. And that's... Uh, but it was like someone put, it's like Jesus put this voltage into Jesus, into, into Peter. He said, hey, you need to change an image of yourself. You're not a reed, man, you're a rock, but you're not even a small detached rock. You're part of something so much bigger. You need to understand the gates of hell will not prevail against you and the work you do in the church. Come on. And he's sparking his imagination. What is it doing him? It doesn't just spark imagination. It sparks faith. It sparks faith. Faith now starts to come alive. So there's this great relationship between faith and imagination. God gives us an image that it's beyond what we see right now. Can you remember that definition of imagination? Imagination is to form a mental image of something not present. Does that sound familiar? In Hebrews chapter one, it says this. Now faith, it's not talking about imagination, but faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's not in existence right now. But God's saying faith will actually cause us to believe in that, hope for that. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Imagination and faith have this close relationship. They're linked together. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. So where do they exist right now? Well, they exist in two places. Firstly, they exist in the mind of God. He has that in His mind. And secondly, they exist in the mind of every believer who choose to accept what God is saying. God is wanting us to grab hold of His imagination. And it is born in our life and faith. And God is doing all He can to get you, to get me, to imagine what is in His mind. And this is how He births His plan in your life and in my life. He does it through this imagination, through the start of faith. Man, when I was in my early 20s, um, I went to this Bible college for, for about five months. And it was like, a, you know, it was, a real, it was a real boost in my faith, to be honest. Amazing boost. The founder of the college was talking about how he took these times and spaces to allow God to speak to him. He said he would schedule maybe a day, a whole day, every now and then to go away, whether that's like he left where he was to a cabin somewhere or just, you know, was in a room. No one was going to disturb him. 
And he took that day to invite God into his thoughts. He said, God, I'm going to pray for some of the time. I'm just going to think for some of the time, but I'm going to allow this whole time to be yours. And I want you to come in and invade my thoughts. And I'm going to, I'm going to take it. It's from you. And he described at the end of one of these days, the day was over. I don't know if anything significant happened in the time, but he's about to leave. And this little hoo-hoo bug came and smacked against the window and then, you know, on the ground stunned. And, uh, and so he picks it up because he just, he just really likes hoo-hoo bugs, you know. He's just playing with it and trying to will it back to life, you know. And it seemed to kind of revive, and then he just flicked it off, and it flew away. And in that simple act of doing that, he felt like God speak to him. He said, hey, you really like hoo-hoo bugs, don't you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. I guess I do. And then he felt God say, have you ever thought of making cartoons with hoo-hoo bugs? And he's like... I have never thought of that, you know. He was an entrepreneur, you know, he was involved in businesses, making plastic bags, lighting, selling lighting to people, never in cartoons. And then he felt God say, well, you should start thinking about it because that's what we're going to do together. And he's like, what do you do with that, you know? Fast forward now to when I was at the Bible college, he says, now we have some cartoons that have been produced by the team that was on site there at the Bible college. This cartoon was eventually broadcast to tens of thousands of children every single day. It had Christian values and Christian principles without a scripture and verse. It was shown in multiple countries, translated into over 20 languages, and, and tens of thousands were watching this every single day. And that was part of the imagination. Eventually, that, that team grew to be over 100 strong, was in uh, two different countries, including China, of all places. Cartoons with Christian values and Christian principles. And this is part of God's imagination, what He's doing in His life. Man, this is what God can do in your life. This is what God can do in my life. Take something that isn't seen. He sparks a thought. He plants faith and He says, we can do this together. Have you thought of doing this? No, I haven't. You should start thinking of doing this because we're going to do this together. God imparts imagination and gives birth. And faith, well, faith can move mountains. That's what it can do. Matthew 17, verse 20. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Hallelujah. Man, there's a great, uh, uh, you know, there's a great thing that, that Jesus is saying in this. He's saying, hey, don't despise, despise what's small. He said, you know, faith can be small, like really, really small. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed, but it is tiny. It is nearly insignificant. He said, but tell you what, big things can come from something that is really, really small. Big things can come. This phrase, you know, moving mountains, all the Hebrews would have understood it. It was a, it was a metaphor that literally meant doing something that was seemingly impossible. And God was saying, I can do something seemingly impossible in your life if you would believe, if you would have faith, if you would step out and allow that imagination to come into your thought and come into your mind. So here we are, we're in a really key season of our church right now. Last Sunday, we declared what our vision was. And it was only, it was a, you know, it's a big vision in one sense, but it only has four very small statements. Very small statements, but big things can come from something that is small. And right now, I believe God's going to let imagination come loose in our lives. Because He started with this thought. And He now wants us to dwell on it. I believe we're going to have a collective imagination as we come to mull over these things. God's going to speak to you collectively. But He's also going to speak to us individually. Why? Because each of us have a unique call in our life. 
We are a different part of this body of Christ. We've got a different part to play. He's going to come and sit in your world and in your world and in your world. He's going to start to give you some thoughts. You have a part to play in this. Some of that's going to fit nice and neatly in these four little statements. You're going to feel like, yeah, that really works with that. You know, I think God's, God's saying, I need to consider this. Some of it is going to feel like it's on a complete other tangent. And, and why does that happen? Well, God has, again, unique calls for every single one of us. But it's birthed out of this. Firstly, our connection and relationship with God. And secondly, the connection and relationship we have right here. Part of the family of God. Part of that bedrock of the church. Part of that bedrock of the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against our plans. So God's got some plans for you. So I'm going to pray really quickly. And then we're going to look at these four statements super fast. But as I do so, I'm going to pray that God would ignite your mind. He would ignite your imagination. He's got plans and purposes. And some of them you've grabbed the whole of already. Some of them are already spinning around in your mind. Some of them are about to be birthed, even in the next few moments. Can we just pray real quick? God, I just thank you that you are not a God who is staying still. God, you've got big plans, things that we haven't even seen yet. And Lord, I believe even in the next few moments, you're gonna spark imagination in our hearts, in our minds. Lord, I pray you do it by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. We're gonna take real quick a look at these four statements, these four key statements. They are little things, but they do a whole lot. Firstly, as a church, we're going to pursue Jesus. That's our number one thing. We pursue Jesus. The second thing is this. We're going to build His church. Thirdly, we're going to advance His kingdom and we're going to impact our world. Those statements again. Pursue Jesus, build His church, advance His kingdom and impact our world. Let's just take a look at that first one. Pursue Jesus. What does that mean? Well, firstly, this is the source of any real impact that we're gonna have in our world. It comes from our relationship with Him. You know, it's birthed out of our time with Him, how He changes us. He's gonna get inside of us and change the way we think, the way we work, the way we act. Can I just read this famous verse in Jeremiah 29? The, the team don't have this. I'm gonna read this out loud. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's what we're called to do. Seek God with all of our heart. That's what we're called to do. I remember when I first came to Arise and, uh, and look, I really feel like I lost my way. I was here. Um, you know, there's a number of circumstances led us to coming here as a family, but I remember feeling like that I, I was aimless. I'd, I'd lost a sense of confidence. I felt like, to be honest, I'd missed the boat somewhere along the way. I thought, yeah, my life is going on a good trajectory, but somehow I jumped off it. I don't know where that happened. And I don't know. And I had no sense of purpose, no sense of future direction. I thought, well, I could be a good man, a good husband, a good dad to my kids. But there was nothing beyond that. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. But then I came here to Arise. And I noticed after a few weeks, after a few months, that started to change. My, my mindset was changing. My thought processes were changing. I started to think about the people in my work. I thought, man, I reckon some of these guys could actually get saved. Uh, my, my, my whole perspective started to lift. My vision was changing. I started to think, God, I reckon maybe you've got some great plans ahead. That some, I don't know exactly what they are, but I, I feel something stirring. And I was changing. 
My, my outlook was different. My positivity was lifting. It was like a light had gone inside of me. And I was trying to work out, what is this? I knew it had something to come in here to arise. I was thinking, is it the worship? Is it the people? Is, is it the messages? And I concluded it was all three. There's something about the dynamic of every church, but there's something special about this place, that we are a church that pursues God. Man, for those who are here in the worship this morning, you, you missed out online and you had your own worship, I know, but you know, Nehana is pushing us. He's going, guys, I want you to engage with the Spirit of God. And that's what happens. You don't want to turn up late to an arise service because you'll miss the praise. And in the praise, something, you know, this team is believing that chains are breaking off our lives, that a new day is dawning. When anyone preaches on this pulpit, man, their desire is not that we just uh, designed to give some sort of intellectual lesson. Their desire is something would come from their spirit and be imparted into other people. Their desire is what the revelation that they have in their heart would be expressed and caught by other people. Everything we do is about the pursuit of God, coming to know Him, coming to understand Him. But it's not just about our services. It's actually about drawing close to God personally. Matthew 6.6 6 says this, but when you pray, go into your most private room, close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is who we are as a church. We pursue God together, but also we pursue God personally. It is the pursuit of our life. If we could strip everything else away, the number one thing would be, God, I wanna know you. The Scripture says this is eternal life to know you, the one true God. That's what eternal life is all about. It's not somewhere you go where you die. No, eternal life is here and now. It starts with the pursuit of God, knowing Him, having a relationship with Him, loving Him. Come on. And that's where we start. Can you imagine what God could do to a whole room full of people who are passionate about pursuing Him? Can you imagine what God would do in your life if you made this the number one thing that you did to pursue God, can you imagine what would happen if all of us passionately pursued God together? William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army, and uh, you know, started a long time ago. And uh, in the first you know number of decades, the impact they had on the world was outrageous. They were they were not PC in any kind of way. They would put up posters in town saying, "We're about to wage war on this town in three days' time." You know, they were that. You could say that was arrogant. I don't know what that was, but they had this passionate pursuit that that people would get saved, they get transformed, then they'd be out on the street getting others saved, getting them transformed. They wanted to see the whole poor in that time in London absolutely transformed. He had this um, distaste for the church that seemed so religious, and he wanted people to come into a faith that was alive, that was passionate pursuing God. And I read this statement uh, about him and he, he reveals the secret behind it all. He said this, I will tell you the secret. God has had all that there is of me. There have been many, uh, there have been men with greater brains than I, even with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision, check that out, caught a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with me and them, on that day, I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. 
He was a pursuer of Jesus. Here it arises. We are pursuers of Jesus. First and foremost, it's the number one thing on our lips. It's the number one thing we do in our actions. And that's why it's the very first of our statements. But the second thing is this. We build His church. Can you imagine what God will do in your life as you start to build His church intentionally? As you do it intentionally. The early church was one of the most dynamic places. We read about it in Acts chapter 2, 42. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Man, that's challenging. Uh, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Man, what was important to them? They were devoted to gathering together as a whole, as a whole large congregation. Man, they were, they were dedicated to the temple. They were there every single day. You guys will be glad we only do like Fridays and Sundays. You know, that's, uh, you know, but man, you couldn't deny their passion. They weren't going to let go of this. They were passionate about deepening their relationships by going into homes, you know, that's where it's going to get deeper. And, and having meals together, breaking bread together, taking communion together, praying for each other in that environment. And here's the big challenge. Man, that was, they took um, responsibility for those in their community who didn't have enough. Man, I find that so challenging personally. I'm such a Western world guy, you know what I mean? Here's my world, here's my budget, you know, I've got that. And I'm going to give Sundays and I'm going to give every second Wednesday night and that'll work for church. And, you know, what we, do, we just compartmentalize our lives. These guys here, they're like, nah, we believe in the whole community. We're going to stand in the, in the gap for anyone. Selling positions to give to those who had more of a need. My gosh, that's a huge challenge to me. Man, we're more about getting as many possessions as we can. We've got so many things on our watch list on Trade Me. My gosh, because we're all about trying to get a little bit more. You know what I mean? But these guys had a wider perspective and God said, the Lord added to their number daily. The Lord added to their number daily. Man, we want to never let go of the um, just the great privilege it is every time someone gives their life to God, says, I'm going to follow you with everything I have. Come on, that is so amazing. Can you imagine what would happen if we, everyone here, had a commitment to this family of faith as much as they did? Can you imagine what that would look like if we actually gave everything we have, recognizing there's a responsibility for these people that are around us? Now, I say that like it doesn't happen, but it does happen. Like this actually happens in pockets all over our community. You have a chat to, you know, David and Beryl Colley, who are part of this uh, campus here. Amazing life group leaders. Uh, people in their life group in the last couple of years have gone through all sorts of health challenges. Yet they haven't gone, oh, well, you know, well, we meet every second Wednesday night and that's it. No, no, no. As a life group, they took responsibility. They cared for those people. Dropping around meals to their houses to help them out in those, those environments. Picking people up, taking them to appointments, dropping them back home because they knew transport was a real issue for them. I went along to one uh, working bee where someone organized it because they realized, man, your garden's getting out of hand. We're all going to do something about that. And roped in other people as well. Come on, you can help with us too. You know what I mean? But I tell you what, that's the church in action. Man, you come, you come on a Friday night and you see some of the young adults 
Now, young adults, that's the prime time for your social life. You know what I mean? Like, man, a young adult, I'm fancy free. I can do whatever I like. You know what I mean? And Friday night, every Friday night, what are they doing? Well, they're not hanging out with their friends. They're actually here in an environment, either at the Arise Centre here on, on, or in a lounge room on a Friday night. They're, they're encouraging young teens. They're inspiring them, pushing them on in their faith. I tell you what, this is the church. This is what we do. And when we're passionate about pursuing God and building His church, these are the things that take place. This is what happens. The third thing, advance God's kingdom. Advance God's kingdom. Can you imagine what happens if we could grab hold of God's kingdom and we could push it out to everywhere that we go? If we could have the worship team that would come, that'd be amazing. Can you imagine what would happen if we recognize the fact that we're not just reeds blowing in the wind? We're not even just a small stone, but we're part of something much bigger. In 1 Peter, it talks about the fact that we are living stones. We're built together, part of Christ who is also the, the living stone. And everywhere we go, we are priests. We actually carry the anointing of God. When you step into your environment at work, when you step into your family, you actually carry the anointing of God. When you outwork anything with kingdom principles, you are actually carrying and advancing the kingdom of God. You gotta realise you now become a light to the world. You're a city on the hill. Now people are looking to you. Why? Because you do things with kingdom principles. You do things differently. Suddenly people are noticing, man, like, I don't know why they're doing that because they'd have a much better advantage if they did it that way. You know what? They really care about others more than they care about themselves. Maybe there's a spirit of excellence that you carry that lets people come alive, shows people that you're part of an advanced kingdom and you're advancing the kingdom of God everywhere you go. You have faith for other people. You have eyes to see what God can do in any space, any environment, any family situation, and you carry that with you. You have a spirit of excellence, a spirit of innovation. Man, maybe you're like um, my friend Trevor, who caught a little, you know, caught a little hoo-hoo bug, and God starts to speak to him about a brand new innovation. Man, that's advancing the kingdom of God. That's advancing His will. And last but not least, if we could all stand to our feet, that'd be great. We're going to impact our world. We're going to impact our world. I tell you what, it will be inevitable if you pursue God. If we build this church together. If we advance His kingdom everywhere we go, then without a doubt, we will impact this world. We will make a difference. You will not stop that from happening. It will be inevitable. It just happens as a result of those things. And I believe there's a season right now where God wants to start to reveal to you your part to play in all this. God wants to spark your imagination. He wants to do it if He hasn't been doing up to this point, And I believe He probably has. For most people in this room, there'll be things in your mind you're thinking, is this God's plan for me? Can I just say, allow that to ruminate in your head. Go over it. Let it sink in. It might seem like a big thing, but it starts with a small thought. But you might think, how does God even speak to me? Can I read this verse out? So 1 Corinthians said, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit because the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Some people say there's no way to know the mind of God. The Scripture says, no, no, there is. God's going to reveal it to you by His Spirit. It's going to come in a thought. 
It's going to come in an imagination. And it's His plan and purpose for you. Thank you for joining us for the Arise Church podcast. We hope this message has blessed you. For more content or resources, visit arisechurch.com. Matiwa, see you soon.